Greetings, this is podcast number 44 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today, instead of one long main segment like we've been having, there will be several shorter ones, including some updates on prior stories we've covered. Topics will include Donald Rumsfeld's strategy to avoid war crimes charges, the failure of the Bush administration to provide medical care for rescuers, recovery workers, and residents injured by the 911 attack, and listener comments about the right-wing attempt to sabotage democracy in Latin America. Let's get right into it. I recently heard Donald Rumsfeld tell a lie. Now, he tells lots of lies. But for many of them, he's created what Richard Nixon called plausible deniability. He has a way to wiggle out of them. But this one is irrefutably a lie. The Bushians have already been conclusively busted on this one. But Rumsfeld arrogantly goes on telling it. He was being interviewed by one of the administration's, as listener WF termed it last week, rabid enablers and shills, Bill O'Reilly. O'Reilly asked Rumsfeld, and I've condensed here, about widespread opposition to the Iraq war, even by entertainment talk show hosts like David Letterman. Why do you think the left in this country is so anti Iraq war. Why? Is it just a hatred of the president? Why does a guy like David Letterman think this whole Iraq thing is some kind of corrupt, ridiculous adventure? As part of his answer, which went on and on with many half-truths, distortions, and outright lies, Rumsfeld claimed it bothers me to hear people say the president's a liar. I mean, I know the president's not a liar. He saw the same intelligence. He saw the same thing that the U.N., the Congress saw. That is just not true. Congress does not see the same intelligence as the president. Did O'Reilly call him on this? Did O'Reilly question Rumsfeld's assertion? Even boldly state that Rumsfeld was telling a falsehood. After all, O'Reilly runs the no-spin zone. There's 100% truth all the time there. Let's hear O'Reilly's response to what you just heard Rumsfeld say. Okay, last question, very important question. How far away is it? No challenge to Rumsfeld at all. Yep. O'Reilly just went on to another question about a different subject, Iran, letting Rumsfeld lie with impunity. How certain am I that what Rumsfeld said is a lie? 100%. This was conclusively established months ago. In fact, way back in Podcast 21, I devoted an entire segment to this. 
Suffice it here to quote from a report by the nonpartisan Congressional Research Service, the CRS, which is used by both parties. The CRS was asked to report on what types of intelligence the President and Congress saw. The CRS unequivocally found, quote, the President and a small number of presidentially designated cabinet-level officials, including the Vice President, have access to a far greater overall volume of intelligence and to more sensitive intelligence information, including information regarding intelligence sources and methods. Close quote. The Bush administration used this fact to cherry-pick the intelligence it shared with Congress and the public, choosing not to share intelligence which would weaken the case for the war it wanted to launch. How does that work? The Bushians claim X is true. They show Congress intelligence supporting the claim that X is true. But they don't let Congress see even stronger intelligence even dispositive evidence that X is not true. For example, according to a report issued by Senator Carl Levin, quote, the administration made repeated assertions that Iraq had provided Al-Qaeda with chemical and biological weapons training. At the very time the administration was making these unqualified assertions, the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency believed it was, quote, more likely this individual is intentionally misleading the debriefers, close quote, and the CIA believed he was not in a position to know. End of report excerpt. So this DIA and CIA intelligence is not shared with Congress. All they saw was intelligence backing the unqualified administration claim. You may be wondering, why is Rumsfeld continuing to run around lying about this? The political prognosticators, the handicappers, are increasingly saying that it's likely Democrats will regain control of at least one House of Congress. If so, they'll control the agenda and the committees, and, critically important, they'll have subpoena power they'll be able to conduct a kick-ass investigation of Bush's war crimes. Rumsfeld has to be aware of this. He knows he's one of the prime architects of Bush's war crimes. I believe Rumsfeld is continuing to lie because he wants to poison the jury pool of public opinion. He wants the public not to be in a supportive mood for a congressional investigation of him and his cohorts, because after all, the public will think, Congress saw the same intelligence Bush and Rumsfeld did, so what's there to investigate? O'Reilly also knows all this. What does that make him? An accessory after the fact is defined as someone who intentionally helps another person who has committed a felony by, among other possibilities, helping to conceal the evidence. O'Reilly is, 
at least in the moral, if not literally, legally chargeable sense, an accessory after the fact to Donald Rumsfeld's war crimes. Yes, for allowing Rumsfeld to spew lies unchallenged as part of an effort to avoid investigation and punishment for waging aggressive war in contravention of the Geneva Accords, O'Reilly has added accessory after the fact to war crimes to his already impressive resume of truly, as he always puts it, looking out for the folks. We're there to, to eliminate the weapons of mass destruction in that country. We know that Saddam Hussein produced and possessed chemical and biological weapons and has used chemical weapons. We know that. We now have teams of investigators who are hard at work to uncover the truth, to kind of catapult the propaganda. In my line of work, you got to keep repeating things over and over and over again to kind of catapult the propaganda. Um, it turned out that we have not found any stockpiles. I think it's unlikely that we will find any stockpiles. I don't know anybody in any government or any intelligence agency who suggested that the Iraqis had uh, nuclear weapons. That's, that's fact number one. What has not stood the test of time was the judgment we made that there were stockpiles of chemical and biological This is a follow-up to an issue I discussed in earlier podcasts. The poisoning by the incompetence, neglect, and deliberate lying of Bush's Environmental Protection Administration of thousands if not tens of thousands of 911 emergency responders, ground zero workers, and lower Manhattan residents. In those prior podcasts, I told you that a federal judge had declared the conduct of Bush's EPA in connection with the Manhattan residents, quote, without question conscience shocking, close quote. That's because just a week or so after 9-1-1, Christy Todd Whitman, then head of the EPA, declared that the air was safe to breathe in Lower Manhattan. In fact, at least as long as four and a half years after 9-1-1, the Bush administration still didn't have anyone in charge of dealing with 9-1-1 health issues hadn't spent a penny on health treatment and either didn't have or had severely shortchanged funding for health monitoring and screening programs. In this morally outrageous context, we had discussed the sad case of James Zadroga, a New York City detective who spent 450 hours at Ground Zero and then recently died at the age of 34 from pulmonary disease. He had started complaining about his breathing shortly after his work at the site. When he died, it was reported that he had fiberglass in his lungs and mercury in his brain. Well, the update from an AP story is that the autopsy report was recently released by his family and the coroner, Gerard Breton, did conclude that, quote, the cause of death in this case was directly related to the 911 incident, 
close quote. According to the AP, this ruling by Coroner Breton is, quote, the first that attributes a death to recovery work at the World Trade Center site, close quote. Zadroga, quote, died of respiratory failure and had inflammation in his lung tissue, close quote, caused the coroner wrote by, quote, a history of exposure to toxic fumes and dust, closed quote. Unfortunately, the Zadroga tragedy is set to be repeated countless times. Quote, Zadroga's parents and four-year-old daughter appeared at a news conference with half a dozen other detectives who said they have suffered from cancer, strokes, lung disease, and other ailments because of post-September 11th work at the Trade Center site. Doctors running health screening programs, including a city registry following tens of thousands of people, say it will take decades to assess the health effects of working at the Trade Center site. Close quote. However, as my prior podcasts detailed, the victims are fighting back. Quote, A class action lawsuit and families of ground zero workers have alleged more than two dozen deaths are related to exposure to trade center dust, which doctors believe contained a number of toxic chemicals, including asbestos and more than one million tons of tower debris. Close quote. New York City's congressional representatives have been fighting back as well. They've now forced the Bush administration to name a 911 health coordinator and to restore the $75 million for health screening, monitoring, and treatment that the Bushians had, amazingly, cut out of the federal budget. Yes, in order to help pay for his tax cuts for millionaires and billionaires, Bush cut out of the budget money to care for the victims of the 911 attack. To learn more about the right-wing neglect, incompetence, and lying that has led to mass poisoning and, ultimately, death, as well as the efforts to hold the Bush EPA and other miscreants accountable, check out podcasts 26 and 31. And of course, Detective Zadroga, rest in peace. And now a word from another progressive podcaster. I think George W. Bush is the worst president we've ever had. I think the Republicans in the U.S. are out of control and need to be stopped. I think the fact that the Bush administration is hiding global warming from the public is outrageous. Hi, this is Shelley, and that's a taste of my podcast called Citizen Against Lies. I welcome you to tune in each week and find commentary that you won't find anywhere else. The liberal media is a myth. The last three elections were stolen by Republicans from American voters. If you don't agree, tell me why. Citizen Against Lies. Subscribe through iTunes. Let's get into some listener comments. 
The first is an email from Ken in Santa Monica, California. He's addressing the segment in Podcast 42 about the nationalization by Bolivia of its natural gas industry. In that segment, I spent a good deal of time detailing how the New York Times reporting on this issue was terribly biased, literally right-wing in its use of language and sourcing. Ken wrote, I loved what you did to bust the New York Times. There's hardly anyone who steps up to the plate and does this. It's infuriating. Hardly ever does anyone in the media who is presented ad nauseum with the intro, well, you know, even the liberal New York Times does thus and so, ever challenge the veracity of that assumption by responding, first of all, I call into question your assumption that the New York Times is liberal, and bust them right then and there. But no! And the right gets the benefit of having it both ways for themselves. First, getting to disqualify the New York Times because they are liberal, at the same time getting right-wing support and spin from what the New York Times writes. This little scenario has always really pissed me off. Ken brings up a great point that I didn't explicitly make in the podcast. If the New York Times reports something that the right doesn't like, and the newspaper, to be fair, does so quite often on other issues, the right simply dismisses the story as, oh, what do you expect from that left-wing dishonest rag? But at the same time, on certain issues, like the efforts by third world nations to reclaim for themselves and their majority starvation level poor populations the economic benefits from their own natural resources, the right has a stealth ally in the New York Times. Not only can the right say, even the New York Times says this negative and that negative about the nationalization process, but also, the largely liberal readership of the New York Times is, without knowing it, being propagandized with right-wing spin on this issue. Talk about a double whammy against the defenseless third world poor. The New York Times should be ashamed of itself. So be alert for right-wing spin by subterfuge the next time you read a New York Times story about Bolivia or the subject of our next listener comment, Venezuela. This second listener comment is from Jeff about my segments on the various ways the right wing is trying to destroy Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez. This is their goal for the simple reason that Chavez was elected by landslides in free and fair elections by his country's poor majority to make sure, and he is making sure, that the vast oil wealth of that nation is used to provide food, medical care, housing, and education to that poor majority, not to enrich the multinational mega-billion corporations that had, up until now, been the prime beneficiaries of that wealth. 
Here's Jeff's comment. Hey, Jack. This is Jeff from um, Republicans Behaving Badly. I'm changing my name to GOP Exposed for the, for the podcast, but I just wanted to um, drop you a note and say that I really look forward to your podcast every week. And you really opened my eyes to the whole Venezuela problem. That that might have gone under my radar, uh, except for your podcast. Of course, I've heard other folks mention it here and there, but not nearly as much as you, and and not um, with um, you know so much detail. So I don't know if if we go into war with Venezuela or take some kind of action there. Uh, it's going to be a horrible tragedy to to watch this happen when you know that what it is is pure evil. It's um, I really hope I don't get to see that in my lifetime. Anyway, um, thanks a lot for the podcast, and I again I I look forward to it every week. You should think about going daily. I'll see you later. Daily? I just almost had a heart attack, Jeff. You'll have to make each day 48 hours long, then I'd have time to do that. Seriously, though, I think you're unfortunately going to have to add some additional nations to your hope-we-don't-tragically-intervene list. Just last week, for example, George Bush said he was, quote, concerned about the erosion of democracy, close quote, in Venezuela and Bolivia. So, as predicted, the right has now also put Bolivia's president, Evo Morales, in its crosshairs. Bush's code words are well understood, probably not by many Americans, but certainly by the victims of U.S. aggression. This is from an AP story. Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez, who often accuses the U.S. of plotting to overthrow him, warned Bolivia's president Friday he could be facing the same prospect. Chavez said, quote, If the U.S. president says he's worried the democracy is eroding in Bolivia, this simply means that he's already given the green light to start conspiring against the democratic government of Bolivia. Close quote. Chavez ain't no dummy. He's already survived one U.S. directed but thankfully short-lived coup. The Bushians deny involvement in that coup. Sure. The fact is the elections of Chavez and Morales body democracy. Chavez said, quote, You have to tell this gentleman that democracy is being reborn in Bolivia and Venezuela, that they're now creating their own laws and not the laws the United States wants to impose. Close quote. Right-wingers, however, don't believe in real democracy, where their side can lose and other people can enact laws. No, right-wingers only believe in stage-managed votes, where the outcome is certain to be favorable to them. Anything else is not democracy. It's an erosion of democracy. Listen to Donald Rumsfeld, 
who we heard lying at the top of the podcast about his war crimes, now here perhaps unwittingly revealing his true anti-democratic beliefs. He said, quote, We've seen some populist leadership appealing to masses of people in those countries. And elections like Evo Morales in Bolivia take place that clearly are worrisome. Closed quote. Wow, the masses of people are being appealed to. Maybe the prospect of food, medical care, and housing is appealing to them, as opposed to right-wing economic policies that they've seen starve, sicken, and otherwise immiserate them and their families. In Rumsfeld's world, in the self-centered, me, 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 mine, 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 I already have the vast majority of the nations in the world's wealth, but I want more and more and more and more, and I'll kill anybody and everybody who stands in the way. In that right-wing world, it's worrisome when democracy flourishes. But you know what? That very same process is so heartening to Ken, to Jeff, to me, and to so many of you out there listening. In other words, to the rest of us who thankfully still carry within ourselves at least a modicum of elementary human decency and morality. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. There's a one-click link to send this page to a friend on the podcast homepage. Don't forget to vote in June for Blast the Right on PodcastAlley.com. There's a one-click link to do that as well on the podcast homepage. A special shout-out to all you live 365 listeners. Why not visit the website, subscribe for free, and you can listen to any podcast anytime you want. And if you're looking for more progressive podcasts to listen to, check out the Progressive Podcast Directory, also linked to off the podcast homepage. Music credits. Bumper music was Catapult to Propaganda by Nye's Music. Not the One Blues by Bernsheet Thornside. No Justice, No Peace by Wackiavelli. And The Schnee Speaks by KG House. We'll close with a little bit of We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to from the main podcast homepage. I love to hear from you all, so please keep all that great email coming in. My address is rational at adelphia.net. If you want to leave a comment for me to play on the podcast, dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also Skype me at Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Now I'm
stocking shirts in a Walmart store Just like the ones we made before Except this one came from Singapore I guess we can't make it here anymore Should I hate a people for the shade of their skin Or the shape of their eyes or the shape I'm in Should I hate them for having our jobs today No, I hate the men sent the jobs away I can see them all now, they haunt my dreams All lily white and squeaky clean They never known want, they never known need The don't stink and the kids won't bleed The kids won't bleed in the damn little war And we can't make it here anymore 